0: Please turn in your Bibles to Psalm one hundred and thirteen, one hundred and nineteen, Psalm one hundred and nineteen, and verse one hundred and thirteen, Psalm one hundred nineteen, and verses. Verse 113 through 120 will be our passage for the sermon this morning, and I'll read the entire passage, verse 113. I hate those who are double-minded, but I love thy law. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I wait for thy word Depart from me, evildoers, that I may observe the commandments of my God. Sustain me according to thy word, that I may live. And do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Uphold me, that I may be safe, that I may have regard for thy statutes continually. Thou hast rejected all those who wander from thy statutes, for their deceitfulness is useless. Thou hast removed all the wicked of the earth like dross. Therefore, I love thy testimonies. My flesh trembles for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. The main theme of this section of Psalm 119 is the man or woman who puts their hope and confidence in the word of God. It is to the word that this psalmist here looks for his strength and help, for his comfort and hope in every time of trial and need. He goes to the word of God and he rests his soul upon God and his word. And the psalmist is able to do so because he believed that the word of God was certain and trustworthy. That it was true because every word of scripture is breathed out of the mouth of God. It has come down from him. It is the inspired word of God and every word of it is true and trustworthy. There can be no lie. There can be no deception. There can be no shade of deceit anywhere in the scriptures. God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And so there can be no lie there can be no falsehood in any of his words. All of his promises are true, and they are utterly certain and trustworthy. It is a most remarkable thing about the word of God, that there is no distinction, there is no distinction between the character of God and the character of his word. He is a God who is faithful and true, and so his word is faithful and true as well. He is a God who is pure and holy. His word is pure and holy. So the word of God can be trusted in every trial, in every difficulty, calamity, in every perplexity of life. And this is what faith enables us to do. Faith enables us to look through the word, beyond the word, to the God who stands behind every word that he has spoken. The true and living God of the scriptures, that's who we look to as we consider his word. It can never fail. And it is always a word that we can trust in. In this section of the psalm, the psalmist, who I think is David, I'm not persuaded he's someone else, but the commentators don't seem to be all that sure of who the writer of this psalm is. But the psalmist here, he makes five confessions, five statements concerning himself and God. The first... Confession here is regarding his commitment, his commitment to God in verse 113. He says, I hate those who are double-minded, but I love thy law. The word double-minded speaks of those who are unstable. They waver between two opinions. They are those who have no firmness. They have no strength. They have no stability, they have no settled convictions, no foundation in their souls. They have a divided heart and half a heart. They are constantly vacillating between two opinions and they are never sure what is true, absolutely, and they are never certain as to what is the good and the right way to live. He does not speak here of unbelievers who are, who outwardly deny the existence of God and have no regard for him in any way. The unbelievers of the world, they are not double-minded, they are single-minded. They are single-minded in their unbelief. The double-minded here are those who profess to know God and who try to serve him, but they always do so with a double heart. They are those who walk along the fence. They are like Mr. Facing Both Ways in Pilgrim's Progress. They have one foot in the world, they have one foot in their religion, and they think it will turn out for them well in the end. But to be a double-minded man is to be one who has no real loyalty to anything. Such a person does whatever seems to be easiest, whatever seems to be most convenient for them in any given situation, and you never know which way they will turn. James speaks of the double-minded man. James chapter 1, he says that he is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed By the wind, he says, let not that man expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. The word that is used here actually speaks of the top branches of a tree, which are blown in the wind back and forth. They are tossed by every wind which blows But in contrast to the double-minded, the psalmist says here at the end of verse 13, he says, But I love thy law. I am not like the double-minded whose allegiance is always, always divided, but I am one who with my entire soul I am committed to only one way, and I have only one allegiance in my life, which is the law of the Lord Thy law is the way of God's commandments for life and how we are to live. God has given laws. God has given laws to his creatures which are to govern over us. They are found in the scriptures. They are especially summarized in the Ten Commandments. They have been written in stone by the finger of God. They are the unchanging rules of life. They come to us with authority from the great King of heaven as he sits upon his throne. He has spoken his law to us. The psalmist here does not say, I love thy promises. Many would say, I love thy promises, but would not say, I love thy law. The psalmist loved the promises, yes, but he loved the law. He loves God's law, and that was the evidence of his new heart, that his heart had been brought into submission to the law of God and a delight and a love for it. He does not raise any resistance against God's law. He does not try to find clever arguments to avoid the clear truth of the law, but he clearly, cheerfully Bows before the law of God because he loves the God who gave the law and he loves the law that came from him. So we have two types of people here in verse 113, the double-minded who are really the unconverted and those who love the law who are those who are true believers. There is only one way to serve God and it is with a whole heart and an undivided heart for him and for his law. The double-minded are like those to whom Elijah spoke on Mount Carmel when he said, how long will you hesitate? How long will you waver between two opinions? He said, if the Lord is God, then follow him. If Baal, if Baal, then follow him It is really a very similar thing to what Moses said in Deuteronomy chapter 4 when he reminded the people of Israel of their great deliverance out of the slavery of Egypt. He said to them, Has any people heard the voice of God speaking from the midst of the fire as you heard and survived Mount Sinai? Or has a God tried to go and take for himself a nation from within another nation by trials, by signs and wonders, and by war, and by a mighty hand, and by an outstretched arm, and by great terrors, as the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes? To you it was shown that you might know, he said, that the Lord, he is God. That's the point that Moses was making. He is God and there is none other God besides him. And if he has done this great work for you and he is God to you, then should you not serve him with an undivided, with a whole heart and love his law? The very same thing can be said to us as believers in the new covenant in a much greater way. As we remember the great deliverance that we have, that God has accomplished for us in the sending of his beloved son to accomplish for us a perfect righteousness, to pay the penalty for all of our sins in the death of the cross, to deliver us out of our slavery, our guilt of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit, he is God and there is none other. And if he has done this great deliverance for us, then should we not serve him with a whole heart and a love for him and for the law that comes from him? Jesus put it this way. We saw it earlier in our reading. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. you cannot serve two gods in this world at the same time. Jesus reproved the church of the Laodiceans for being double-minded because they were neither hot nor cold. He said, I would that you were cold or hot, because, so because you are lukewarm, you are neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. There are many who profess to be Christians, and yet they are double-minded. And the psalmist here is determined that no such duplicity would find a place in his soul. So I ask you this morning, are you a double-minded man, or are you one who serves God with a whole heart? And loves his law. Do you sit here this morning conscious that there are commandments of God and laws of God that are clear, but you have rejected them and you seek to profess to be a Christian at the same time? That is double mindedness. And it will not stand in the presence of God on the last day. May you be one who can look at God's law and say, though I am not perfect in keeping the law, I seek to keep it by your grace best I can and I wish that I would make and I desire to make more progress in it. May you be a true believer who loves the law of God. In verse 113, the psalmist declares his commitment and now he turns away from himself. He looks upward to God in verse 114 and here is his second declaration, his second confession, which is his trust, his complete trust in God himself. He says, thou art my hiding place and my shield. I wait for thy law. Two things the Lord had become to him, his hiding place and his shield. He speaks here in times of trouble and great turmoil, trial and need, a hiding place. A hiding place is a place where when great storms When hurricanes come, one must find a place of hiding where he is safe and can be shielded, protected from the great storm. That's who the Lord became to him. A shield, a shield is a piece of armor that covers us against all the assaults and the missiles of the evil one. Both of these, God had become to David, Thou art my hiding place and my shield, he says. Notice he says, thou art my hiding place and my shield. He does not say, thou has given me a hiding place. He does not say, thou has given me a shield. But he says, thou thyself. You yourself have become for me my hiding place, my hiding place, and my shield. It is most personal. God himself is the hiding place of David and his shield. The Bible abounds with such pictures of God as a place of safety, as the one of safety, defense. In the midst of all the tumultuous trials of life, he is sometimes called a refuge. Sometimes he is called a rock, a high tower. Sometimes he is called a defense. We'll look at a couple of verses in the book of Psalms for just a moment here. Very briefly, back in Psalm 9 and verse 9. Back in Psalm 9. Back in verse 7, he says, The Lord, but the Lord abides forever. And he has established his throne for judgment. His throne is in the heavens. And then he says, Down in verse 9, he says, The Lord also will be a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble, a stronghold. One where we may go and find refuge and safety. For who? For the oppressed. When? In the times of trouble. That's who he is for the oppressed. In times of their trouble, he is a stronghold for us. We can turn to Psalm 91. Psalm 91. And verses 1 and 2. He says, he who dwells in the shelter... Of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. We see there in verse 1 that there is shelter, the shelter of the Most High. Where do we find the shelter of the Most High? He tells us at the end of verse 1 in the shadow of the Almighty. That's all we have to do to find safety and shelter is bring ourselves under the shadow, just the shadow of the great and mighty God. Just under his shadow, there is protection and safety and refuge. What powerful protection is found in him? Our refuge, our fortress, in whom we can trust. We can turn back to Psalm 46, in Psalm 46, and verses 1 through 3, he says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth should change, and though the mountains slip into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains quake at its swelling pride. David here, he, or the psalmist, he speaks of the many dangers of life. There are sudden calamities. There are unknown trials that come upon us, and when they do, there is only one place where we may go, to find refuge and strength in those times, and it is in the Lord. We live in a time of relative safety right now, but it is very precarious, and it all hangs by a thread. What will we do? What will you do when the whole earth begins to shake And everything around us seems to be coming into convulsions. And even the mighty mountains, the mighty mountains that seem so immovable and stable, they begin to slip down into the heart of the sea. And life seems to be coming apart at the very seams all around us. What will you do in such a time as that? There is only one place to find safety And refuge in the eternal power and love and stability of God. Who will forever be perfect in his peace upon his throne. And will always be a hiding place and a shield to us as his people. We'll turn back to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. And verse... Thou art my hiding place and my shield. We need divine protection, which can only come from the Lord himself. And so here is a truth that we should always cherish and rest upon it all times and never let go. Thou art my hiding place and my shield. We see at the end of the verse, he says, I wait for thy word. He speaks here of the word of God in general, especially his promises. Now he speaks of the promises of God. And he tells us how we must go to God as our hiding place and our shield. Through his word, where he waits for the word there. When great trouble comes, he says, this is what I must do. I must run to the Lord, my hiding place and my shield. And there in that hiding place and under that shield, this is what I will do. I will wait for the fulfillment of his word of promise to me. To wait for his word means to hope in his word of promise, to be fulfilled. To wait and to hope is not something that we do very well because we want the answer and the deliverance to come quickly. And when we have to wait, we easily grow anxious and in patience. We begin to think that there is something that we must do. We do have our duties, but sometimes all we can do is to wait. And that's what the Lord wants us to do. To wait in hope, in the hiding place, in the shield under his protection, for his promises to be fulfilled at the proper time. You remember what happened to Abraham and Sarah. God gave them the promise of a son, but they had to wait upon the Lord for so many years. Their faith was tested. They grew impatient at times. Abraham, he wanted Eleazar to be the heir and the son of promise and Sarah thought she came up with a better idea with Hagar. But all they needed, all they really needed to do was to find their hiding place and their shield under the great God and there to wait for the fulfillment of his promise in patience and in faith. This is what God desires us to know and to learn. This is what he wants to prove himself to be to us. Our hiding place and our shield. That's why, no doubt, he sends trials upon us at times so that we would learn this by our own experience. So that we would not turn to our own devices and to our own ways, but we would run to the hiding place and under his shield of divine protection, we would wait patiently and in faith for the fulfillment of his word. This is what he wants us to learn. The deliverance will come. His deliverance will never be denied. The great God in heaven, he cannot look down upon those who he sees coming to him and hiding themselves under him and finding him to be their shield And waiting upon his word, he cannot deny help and strength to them. He cannot ultimately not fulfill his promises to them. And he will, he will fulfill his promises. Whatever way it comes in this life or in the life to come, his word will always be fulfilled. And though it may be delayed, it can never be denied The next thing David now says in this section of the psalm is he speaks of his purpose in life, his purpose now. In verse 115, he says, Depart from me, evildoers, that I may observe the commandments of my God. He calls upon evildoers to depart from him, because he desires to separate himself from all unnecessary acquaintances with the evil world, that he might not be entangled in any of their sins. He does not mean that we are to go out of the world and have no dealings with unbelievers and make no efforts to evangelize them as we are able. But knowing the corruptions of his own heart, he takes this caution that he would not enter into any friendship with the world that may tempt him to walk in their ways because bad company corrupts good morals. His purpose here is that he might walk carefully in the commandments of God. Verse 114, God is his hiding place, his shield. He waits for the word. And now this is how he emerges out of that hiding place and from under that shelter of God's almighty shield, he emerges now with this purpose and this determination to walk in the ways of God's commandments. Depart from me, evildoers, that I may observe thy commandments. We must be careful in all of our relationships with the world, in all of our interaction with the world around us, So that no sin finds an entrance into our souls. We cannot trust our own hearts, lest we be fools. We must have care. I give an example of the internet and especially of social media. We are not forbidden and sometimes we must use these things, but we should always do so with great caution because it is always a source of temptation and many pathways into all kinds of evil. Social media lies behind so many of the evils and the confusion of this present world. People are allowing themselves to be bombarded by every wicked thing that comes through it. A funnel, like having a funnel down into your brain of wickedness. Opening the gates of our minds to every evil thing. Let it flow in upon me is what is taking place. Would it not be a good and reasonable thing? to spend at least as much time every day under the influence of the word of God than under the influence of things from the internet. Someone told me this week that they make it a rule in their house that they scroll on their Bibles more than they scroll on their social media. Every Christian can make his own rule for himself to guard himself from these things, let me listen Listen to what John Calvin said on this verse and the influence of the evil world. John Calvin said, The dangerous influence of fellowship with wicked men is but too evident from observation. And to this it is owing that few continue in their integrity to the close of life, the world being fraught, With corruptions. A very sobering observation from John Calvin, who lived so long ago. He said, Few, few continue in their integrity to the very end of life. Is it not evident from what we see? Calvin said that hundreds of years ago. What would he say today? With the influence of all these things around us. Paul said to the Corinthians who lived in a wicked society, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. He said, what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? What fellowship has light with darkness? What has a believer in common with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? Come out from their midst, he said, and be separate. And do not touch, do not even touch what is unclean. And I will welcome you. That's really what the psalmist is saying in verse 115. It is his resolve and his determination to keep God's commandments. And what he really means is not just for evildoers to depart from him so that he can keep the commandments of God, but anything, anything that would hinder me. Anything that would stand in my way, whatever evil thing there may be in my house, whatever evil thing there may be in my own soul, whatever idol that I worship in this world, whatever remaining love of things, let them all be banished. Depart from me every evil thing that I may keep the commandments of my God. That's his resolve and his determination And that kind of resolve that is willing to cut off the right hand and pluck out the right eye regarding anything that makes me stumble, that is the only kind of resolve that will get one safely to heaven through this sinful and wicked world. If we have something that is less than that, so that we do not love his law as we should, then we are perhaps in danger. Whatever entertainment, whatever pleasure, however dear it may be, may it depart from me that I may observe the commandments of my God. This is not legalism. This is not trying to earn the favor of God. This is the desire of a new heart seeking to please And love God as one should. In 116, verse 116, now the psalmist addresses God once again as he does now throughout the rest of the psalm. And the fourth thing we see now in verse 116 is his need. This is the confession of his great need. The first half of the verse he says, sustain me, sustain me according to thy word that I may live is similar to what he says in verse 117, uphold me that I may be safe in the way of life, that I may have regard for thy statutes, that I may keep your law and your ways. In verse 116, the word sustain, sustain me, it means support me, uphold me, guard me, protect me with your divine power and keep me from falling under the heavy trials and the temptations of this present life. Sustain me, uphold me. This is a long-term perspective, a long extended view of his need because what he is doing here is he is speaking of the narrow way that leads to everlasting life, and it is a long pathway that is filled with many perils and he is looking down that long pathway and he sees that he has no strength in himself to walk to the end and only God can support him by divine power. There are so many pitfalls in which he may stumble. There are so many byways that can lead him astray. As we have in Pilgrim's Progress, there is hill difficulty and there is the valley of the shadow of death and there is Apollyon there and then there is Doubting Castle dangers all along the way. And so this ought to be a settled truth in our hearts that none, none of us, no one of us, no matter who we are, is safe in this world until we arrive in the celestial city. The battle is not yet finished. In this sense, the victory is not yet completely ours until we enter into the eternal kingdom. Yes, yes, Jesus said it is finished on the cross. But when Jesus said it is finished, he meant those who endure and persevere by my grace to the end, they are the ones who will be saved. We have no Rest until we get to that eternal city. So this is a cry here for perseverance. That we must continually go to the throne of grace and ask for him to sustain us and guard us. Israel had to be sustained in their 40 years of wilderness wandering by the manna from heaven and by the water from the rock. And we need to be sustained through the wilderness of this world by the bread of life from heaven and the living water of the Holy Spirit to our souls. We cannot sustain ourselves. Only the Lord can sustain us in this world. So David knew that his troubles were too great for him. The burdens were too heavy upon him. He would collapse. He would not have strength in himself to bear up under them. Only the Lord could give this to him. There's a sense of desperation here. Sustain me according to thy word. We notice, we notice here in verse 17, 16, he says, sustain me. He does not say, deliver me, but sustain me. He does not say, deliver me from my trials, but he means, sustain me under them. Uphold me as I pass through them. We need to remember Though it is not wrong to pray for deliverance, we need to remember that for God, the process of how we pass through our trials is as important to him as the deliverance is to us. We are so focused on the deliverance, but he is focused on the process of how we pass through our trials which are a testing of our faith and the proof of our allegiance and our obedience to him. And to pass through the trials is for our growth in grace and our maturity and our holiness in the Christian life. That's what the Lord is most interested in. You remember the Apostle Paul in Second Corinthians chapter 12 where he had the thorn in the flesh, the messenger from Satan, he asked for deliverance three times that the Lord would deliver him from it. And the Lord answered him, but not with deliverance, but with sustaining grace, he said to him, I am not going to deliver you, but my grace is sufficient for you, and my power will be perfected in your weakness. And surely, perhaps, Paul would have had to come to this verse Because this is what he would need to pray for after he heard that word from Christ. Sustain me now. Sustain me and uphold me according to your word of promise that your grace will be sufficient and your power will be perfected in my weakness. This is not a fancy prayer, this is not eloquence in prayer. This is the most simple cry, sustain me, uphold me. Sometimes, sometimes the trials of life are so heavy that all one can do is make this cry, sustain me and uphold me in the midst of these things. We do not know. We are given no circumstances here or details as to the trial that the psalmist was passing through. We do not need any of those details because God knows every detail. And all we must do sometimes is simply cry, O Lord, sustain me and uphold me. There is always power and grace in him to uphold us. Isaiah said, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth does not become weary or tired. His understanding is inscrutable. He gives strength to the weary, and to him who lacks might, he increases power. Though youths grow weary and tired and vigorous men stumble badly, yet those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. So he is able, he is always able to sustain us and to uphold us in whatever need. His power always comes to meet us in our weakness. They will mount up like with wings like eagles. They will run and not grow tired. They will walk and not become weary. So he says here in verse 116, sustain me according to thy word. He means according to the word of your promise. Sustain me through the Christian life. Give me the strength of perseverance that I need. To the very end, sustain me according to the promises of your word. And we have many such promises in the scripture. Jesus himself said in John 10 of his sheep, I give eternal life to them. They shall never perish. No one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. That's what we must pray. Lord, sustain me according to that promise that you give eternal life to me and I shall never perish. I will raise them all up on the last day. Sustain me to the end that you might raise me up in glory and power at the resurrection. Paul said in, in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, he said, I am confident of this very thing. He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. Romans chapter 8, who shall ever separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword? I am convinced, Paul said, that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sustain me, O Lord, according to the word of promise that I might live. Back in in verse 113, he spoke of his love for the law of God. That was not a self-righteous boast. But it came from a man who knew God to be his hiding place and his shield. And it came from a a man who knew only God could sustain him and uphold him that he might continue to live. At the end of verse 116, he says, do not let me be ashamed of my hope. His hope was in God and his word and the deliverance that God promised in the scriptures. And he asked God here, that God would not disappoint him so that he would be ashamed before his enemies. This is what happens to us when our trials extend for long periods of time and there seems to be no deliverance. We wonder whether it will ever come and our weariness comes upon us as we wait and so we cry out, Lord, do not let me be ashamed of my hope because my hope has been in you as my hiding place and my shield and I have waited for your word. Our hope will not ultimately be disappointed. We are tempted to think it will be disappointed. It will not ultimately be disappointed because the Bible says whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. And the day is coming when Jesus will return from heaven in all of his glory and power and might. And he will raise us from the dead to appear before him. And it will be a day of eternal joy and thanksgiving. And we will say, as is said in Isaiah chapter 12, behold, this is our God for whom we have waited that he might save us. We have waited for him all of this life and we will see him and he will come and he will fulfill his word and we will never be disappointed in him. The last thing that the psalmist speaks of here in the last three verses of this section is his fear. His fear of God's judgment Fear of God and of God's judgments. In verse 118, he says, Thou hast rejected all those who wander from thy statutes. They have wandered, they have gone astray from his statutes, they have rejected him, and so he has rejected them as well. Then he says at the end of the verse, For their deceitfulness is useless. It is false. The idea doesn't come through so clearly in the English, but the idea in this latter part of verse 118 is that the wicked are so often well-pleased with themselves. They think that they have cleverly devised their ways of sin and they have deceived others as they proceed in their ways of evil. But what they have really done is only entangled themselves in their own deceptions. They have only entangled themselves in their own deceptions from which they cannot escape. And they end up deceiving even themselves with their own lies. The wiser they think they are. The more they delude themselves. It is what Paul said in Second Timothy three and verse thirteen evil men and impostors will proceed from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. They ruin themselves. Then he says, What God will do with them in verse one nineteen, thou hast removed all the wicked of the earth like dross, like the silversmith when he refines the silver in the furnace and the dross rises to the surface and then he takes away, he removes all that dross of the surface and casts it away. And the psalmist here is speaking of a continual process that is taking place in the present world at the present time. This is what God is doing with all the wicked when they die. He is removing them. He is removing them like the dross into the furnace of everlasting destruction. Believers die as well, but we go into the presence of Christ. And are with him forever. So he speaks here of the judgment and the wrath of God against men. Thou hast removed all the wicked of the earth like dross. Thou hast judged them and thou hast cast them away into the eternal fire. What is is the psalmist's response when when he considers the fierce judgment and the wrath of God? Is the wrath of God something that is he regards as a blemish upon his character? Is the wrath of God something that should be hidden, that he is in some ways ashamed of it? No, no. Look at what he says at the end of verse 119. He says, therefore, I love thy testimonies when I consider the terrible wrath of God that is coming against the wicked, what does it do to me? It causes me to love thy testimonies more than ever before and to cling to them and to be more careful to walk in them. And then... He considers the severity of God's judgment in verse one, nine, one twenty. He says, My flesh trembles for fear of thee, and I am afraid of thy judgments. When he remembers what God does with wicked men and the terrible torment and the destruction that comes upon them, even though he is in salvation and in a place of safety in his hiding place in God, Yet he still trembles out of fear of the great and holy and mighty God. And he is afraid. He trembles at the judgment that God will bring upon the wicked. This is healthy Christianity. To have a full view of God. Not a partial view of God. Not a one-sided and a distorted view of God that denies his holiness and his righteous wrath against men in their sins. But a full view of God. He is the hiding place, the place of safety and comfort. We love him. He has a great salvation, but he is also a God of terrible holiness and justice against the wicked. We need to have a full view of who he is. One man says this, God's delay in punishment is compensated by its severity when it is inflicted. The last day will come. Every one of us will be there on that day. We will all need a hiding place from the wrath of God to come. There is only one hiding place for us. It is found in Jesus Christ, the great Savior of sinners. And it is only by running to him in faith, in repentance, in submission to him, to his word. It is only by coming to him that we will find safety and a hiding place and a shield on that great day. He who has been our hiding place and shield all of life. He will then be our hiding place and our shield on that great day. And he can be your hiding place and your shield as well. All of you who do not believe in him. You may come to him today and he will be your hiding place and your shield. And he invites you to come to him and to find your peace and your rest in him as the Savior. Let's pray together. Gracious God and Father in heaven, O Lord, thank you for your grace, your glory, your character, your great love, power to protect us, your great wisdom, thank you for your holiness and even for your terrible wrath that will come that is righteous and true and thank you that we have found a hiding place in our Lord Jesus Christ. We pray that you would help each one of us to rest in him, to continue to find him, to be the one who sustains us according to his word in all of our troubles We pray, Lord Jesus, come and be merciful to us and bless your word and bring all of us to believe in your beloved Son. And we ask you to hear us now and be with us throughout the day. In Jesus' name, amen.